Hello everybody, you are listening to Nudge, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the science behind marketing. Today I am very excited to speak to a fellow podcaster who I've been keen to get on the show for well over a year now. Here he is. Uh, bonjour, bonjour. I'm Louis Grenier and I fight marketing bullshit with radical differentiation. Louis is a marketing veteran. Having studied the subject, he quickly worked his way to a head of marketing role before going on to start his own marketing agency and then taking an in-house strategic role at a company called Hotjar. Many of you may recognize Louis from his podcast, Everyone Hates Marketers. About a year ago, Louis left his job to run this show full-time and it has quickly become one of the most popular marketing podcasts around. His show and his email newsletter and his workshops give us marketers the tools we need to radically stand out. But why? Why do we need to radically stand out? What benefit does it give us? And does it actually help with revenue and growth? The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Byron Sharp, in his book, How Brands Grow, states that as little as 16% of advertising is both remembered and correctly attributed, meaning that 84% of advertising spend is arguably wasted. To get around this, brands try and create distinctive marketing. We know that being distinct has a big impact on recall. We've spoken before about how the Von Resteroff effect, essentially being different from the entities immediately around you, how this effect can increase recall. I could have given 100 examples to highlight this, but arguably the most simple is end-of-aisle displays at a supermarket. The end-of-aisle display is naturally distinct. The dozen or so products on those shelves stand out compared to the hundreds within the aisles. So, does standing out help with revenue? Well, absolutely. Non-alcoholic drinks placed on an end-of-aisle display have increased sales by 114% without any discounts added, according to the book The Choice Factory. So, standing out is important. But Louis is convinced that most marketers struggle to execute this. Here's why. 
what I always struggle with when reading like Purple Cow, for example, or any other books like that was the fact that they are not really telling you how to do it. So they are not. They they give you examples from massive brands that you can't replicate because you're not a massive brand unless uh, like 99.9% of businesses out there. They make your creative circuits kind of firing, but they don't really tell you how to do it. Like it's up to you to do it. It's up to you to fucking figure it out. And that always been part of you know what pissed me off. I started to connect the dots more and more towards the last two years of my career at Hodja, where I really was energized by positioning. Like it was really a topic I loved. Making people notice you because you come up with something that is brand new, coming up with content projects like we launched the Human Strike Back podcast for Hodja. We did this huge uh, e-commerce uh, lighting conference uh, where speakers will speak for five minutes that had a lot of uh, make a lot of noise a lot of attendees didn't necessarily generate business results right now but that wasn't never the plan that plus the fact that throughout my life I was always trying to find flaws in people thinking uh, from a very young age in high school uh, one of my teacher called me an intellectual terrorist because I was constantly trying to poke holes but in an intellectual way like and and I that never left me and I always like to find ways to 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 be contrarian but it wasn't like this grand aha moment it took me months and months and months of rereading books re-listening to podcast episodes listing down all the projects I had ever done and having to make a choice because that's what I that's why I preach through radical differentiation is is the fact that you must go all in with one thing and stop trying to be all things for all people and so I could have become just a yet another marketing consultant or even a brand consultant or positioning consultant. But I knew that it wasn't good enough. And I knew I had to, to really take a risk by going all in into a topic that was even smaller than positioning. And radical differentiation is one way to position your company because you can position your company to be the exact same than someone else's if you want to uh, with the same price and whatever. You can copy someone else that's positioning if you want to. But I wanted to go deeper and I wanted to, to me, radical differentiation is the only way for an independent consultant, a company to have the highest chance of crossing the chasm. Now, Louis might be an intellectual terrorist, but he is right. Differentiating your brand is an important step if you want your marketing to be recognized and recalled. And there's science to back this up. Researchers from the University of California measured the brain activity of respondents while they read a series of sentences. Now, most of the sentences made logical sense. So, for example, benches are great for sitting down and resting. But other sentences contained somatically incongruous words like turtles are not as smart as mammals, such as socks or dogs. The data showed a large spike in brain activity when the participants read the incongruous words, socks in the previous case, in case you hadn't noticed. Obviously, something that stands out, something that's different, results in a significant increase of involuntary attention and processing in the brain. Steve Martin, in his book The Small Big, talks about how the same hitchhiker in the same area is twice as likely to get a ride if they wear a red t-shirt. It seems like the exact same thing is happening for these drivers as, as the participants in the test. They experience more brain attention and processing when they see red because that colour stands out, just like the incongruous words from the previous test. 
Now, many of you would have heard about this science around being distinct and different, but Louis is here to take it one step further. He's got the concept that he calls radical differentiation. And here's Louis explaining that concept. Yeah, it's, 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 it's just a way to be, the, to be different and compelling for a specific group of people. So it's basically the statement, we are the only company that does that for that specific group of people. That's what it is. And so you can claim the fact that you're the only one in the world doing that. The mistake that people make when they go through differentiation is they think we need to be the only one. But no, it's not about being the only one. It's about being the only one for a group of people that does this specific thing. I'm just interjecting here to emphasize this because it is such an important point. Don't confuse differentiation with being different from everyone else. That's not it. Differentiation is about finding a group of people who you're uniquely positioned to service. Tesla isn't the only electric car manufacturer. Patagonia isn't the only sustainable outdoors brand. And Seth Godin isn't the only great marketing author. Their differentiation doesn't come from doing something different. It comes from targeting a specific audience in a unique way. Anyway, I will shut up now and hand back to Louis, who explains how his podcast is radically differentiated. So for everyone hates marketers, the statement will be the only marketing podcast for people uh, sick of marketing bullshit who want to learn, you know, actionable strategy to grow. You know, I'm the only one who can claim that. And through that, then you take some risk by going all in, in for this minimum viable market that is that can sustain you for a long time. This minimum doesn't mean it's too small. It means it's the right size. And those group, this group of people is congruent, meaning they have something in common and it's not demographic. It's mostly a psychographic trait. Like they want to do something, they want to reach a goal, they want to solve a pain, but it's very acute. They really are dying for a solution like yours. So you become the de facto only solution for them only. And not only do you say that, you also re-engineer or engineer your solution to match that. And that's the second thing that I have a big issue with when it comes to branding and differentiation and positioning is that most experts consider the product that you're selling as something that is set in stone you can't change. And I hate that with a big passion because marketing has lost its seat at the leadership table for this type of thinking because people think promotion equal marketing, marketing equal promotion and ad. Marketing in its very core, if you think of the four Ps, price, product, place, promotion, product is part of it. We should, as marketers, we should be able to influence the product we are selling through our deep, deep understanding of our, of our minimum viable market. And differentiation starts with that. So when I teach differentiation, when I do it myself uh, with clients and whatnot, the main thing is to be able to say, we have obsessed over a specific group of people. We know their needs very well. Now let's re-engineer the product so that it really matches everything that they want. Let's remove the fluff, focus on that, and, and become the only. But putting a lipstick on a pig with a narrative, like, you know, like this fucking narrative design, oh, let's take a shitty product and now let's put a narrative spin on it and tell a story. And now, boom, you have differentiation. That's horse shit. So you can't have differentiation and specifically not radical differentiation with an average product you're going to have to make changes to the product or services you sell and that's the key that to me is missing in most literature radical differentiation is not just about being different it's about standing out with a product that is specifically targeted at a specific group of people 
One example of a radically differentiated organisation is the football club Forest Green Rovers over here in the UK. Now most football clubs couldn't be more similar. They all have the same mission, usually to win. They all sell the same product, games of football, albeit with different levels of success. And they all use the same messaging, stuff like will to win, dare to succeed, pride of London, Manchester, Yorkshire, etc, etc. But Forest Green Rovers, they're different. Unlike others, their ultimate goal isn't really to win. Their ultimate goal is sustainability and climate action. So rather than selling beef burgers and promoting gambling firms, Rovers have a fully vegan menu in their stadium. They have electric vehicle charging points around the ground. They have solar panels on the roof, powering the stadium with 100% renewable energy. They have the world's only organic pitch, free from pesticides and weed killers. And FIFA describe this small League 2 club as the greenest club in the world. This radically differentiated positioning works for the club. The club has seen a huge revenue increase as similar climate-orientated brands flock to sponsor the club. Rather than battling with the 91 other clubs in the league over the same sort of brands, you know, gambling firms, beer brands who typically sponsor football clubs, Forest Green Rovers has secured premium sponsorships from Oatly, Corn, and Innocence Movies, you know, brands that match their sustainable approach. This differentiation attracts fans as well. When ranking the 24 clubs in League 2, the league that Forest Green Rovers are in, based on the population of the area they're in, Rovers come out on top. So sure, they're not getting the attendance levels in the tens of thousands, but despite their local population only having 5,800 people in it, they get 2,600 fans coming to the games. That's 46% of the local community. The next highest in the league is Grimsby, who get just 10% of the local population attending. But the real question is, how do we as marketers find our own radical differentiation in the brand or business that we work within? It's all well and good for Forest Green Rovers, but what do you do as a marketer to figure out how your company needs to stand out? Well, I asked Louis. So you don't start with that question. I mean, yeah, that's the right question to ask, but it doesn't start with that. So it's not a selfish endeavor where you think about yourself and your differentiation. It's very much a generous endeavor where you have to do the emotional labor of understanding your customers uh, very well. And by understanding customers, I mean defining a minimum viable market. You must define a group of people that is small enough for you to own, but big enough for you to make money out of. You need to define a group of uh, people who have a pain in common, something in common that makes you the best solution for them. And that starts with interviewing customers, talking to them, surveying them, observing them, whatever the fuck you, you need to do and really looking at them through four different attributes. Um, do you like working with them? Are they in pain? Uh, do you have access to those type of people? Because that's a big mistake I see. People come up with a market and then they don't have access to them. They have no fucking clue how to reach out. Uh, and then do they have money? Um, like, are they profitable for you? And the intersection of those four gives you a group of people who have congruence, who have money to pay and have a pain that is worth solving for you. So just a quick example on that. I'm working with a client right now. They're selling shampoos in the US. Uh, they, they, their original idea of their market was Latinas. So they are, they are all Latinas uh, or Latinos. They wanted to create a shampoo for, for, for people uh, in the Latina community because they have specific hair type and all that. Anyway. And so their idea was that, yeah, Latinas in general are the customer. 
And through interviews and through doing that work, the emotional labor, we discovered and they discovered that actually, no, it's not. The group of people who are the most likely to buy a product like that were not just Latinas. They were Latinas with long hair, frizzy hair in particular. So long hair because it's more difficult to tame and, and to make to control because they are long. Freezy because again, like freeze get out of control. Living in warm, humid weather in the US, California, and, and Florida in particular. This is a congruent group of people that you can obsess over and become the de facto leader uh, by uh, by engineering a product that is really there to help control the freeze for those people, especially in humid weather. And then you can see how the story becomes very easy to tell. You can say that the warm weather is the status quo and the enemy you need to fight against. And there's something you can't do anything in, uh, against until you use that shampoo. So that starts with your market. And, and most experts would also start with the product and then you identify a group of people who would like that product and then you basically double down on it. But if your product is not differentiated by default and you identify a group of people who would really much like it, you still are left with maybe a niche product, but you have other products that are the exact same in the niche. So you basically narrow down, but you are not radically different. And so this is why it starts with the market so that you forget about your product for a bit. And then you look at the, at the product. This is a crucial point. Positioning isn't something you come up with by chatting to your colleagues in a conference room. In fact, it's not really about your product or your company at all, at least not at the start. It's about identifying a market where you're positioned to help. And to do that, you talk to customers, asking those four questions Louis suggests. Do you have access to them? Do they have money? Do you enjoy working with them? And do they have a pain that you can solve? Once you've done that, then you can get to the really fun part, which Louis calls defining the status quo. Anyway, you define your money more viable market. Uh, we can spend hours on this, but then you define your status quo to mobilize people. And that's something I think people will like throughout the, um, uh, in psychology in particular, there's a huge, there's an interesting psychology uh, bias that is very trendy right now that explains why people tell you, brand experts tell you, you need to pick an enemy or you need to pick a status quo, you need to lean against something else. And that's the conspiracy theory mindset is the fact that conspiracy theories in particular I do believe in those theories because they seek control over the world um, that they are part of. They are they suffer from a higher level of anxiety in general compared to the average population. And they need this kind of, they need to point the finger at something in order to feel better and in order to feel like, oh, actually it's not random chaos out there. There is an actual group or person or whatever that is responsible for all my pain. And that thinking is the same reason why religion exists. And that's also why as brands, if you want to make sure that people understand what you do, you must lean, it, uh, lean against the status quo and point the finger at something so that they feel relieved and you relieve their anxiety and say, hey, I know you have frizzy long hair. I know the, this warm, humid weather is not making it easy. Now you've just coined, you just basically transferred all the energy into that box, into that enemy, into the status quo. And now it's much easier to say what you do. In fact, I don't even need to tell you what I do. By just telling you the status quo, the pain it causes, you kind of anticipate what I'm going to offer. There are countless examples of successful marketing campaigns where the product helps the customer fight the status quo. 
You've got Apple versus Windows. You've got Dollar Shave Club versus Gillette. Tesla versus every gas automotive. Now, this works partly because of the human tendency for tribalism. We want to feel part of a group, and we are quick to identify differences with those outside of that group. One infamous study by the psychologist Henry Taffel helped reveal this. In his study, participants who didn't know each other prior to the study, were divided randomly into groups. Tafel would flip a coin to determine which group each participant was in, and it was made very clear to the participants that their group was randomly assigned. Despite the groups being completely random, each participant was quick to show favouritism to the group that they were assigned within, and to even show discrimination towards outsiders. The participants were asked to divide real monetary rewards once the experiment was complete. Teifel found that the groups always favoured their in-group participants over outsiders, even though they had nothing to gain from it. Clearly our behaviour changes when we feel we're, we're up against an enemy. That's why defining your status quo is so important, and it doesn't have to be a specific competitor. The shoe and fashion brand Tom have this one-for-one movement that shows they stand against fast fashion. Moz, an SEO SaaS tool, writes content to position themselves against the black hat SEO tactics that spam the web in hope of manipulating search rankings. It begs the question, you know, why doesn't your local cafe make a stand against corporate chains that don't pay workers fairly? Now, they may fear they'll lose customers, but Louis' work suggests that they won't. In fact, cafes who do something like this will probably gain customers who stand with their cause. I asked Louis about this. This is where huge mistakes, huge mistakes are made. Uh, people are afraid of going down and focusing on a very specific market and a group of people because they're afraid of missing out on opportunities. That's just, they're just a common human trait. We are afraid. We are, as people, we tend to be maximizers. And what happens is that we tend to have super high level uh, of standards. Like we tend to have very, very high threshold to take a decision. And we take when we take a decision that uh, something bad happens, usually we regret it because there are so many choices in front of us that we, let's say, pick a market, we pick UX designers, and then a month after realize, oh shit, no, actually product managers, maybe it's better. And then we come back to it so we regret, in, we regret the decision we took, we come back to it, and it actually creates an even worse situation. Instead, what I advocate is to fight this psychological bias and say, have a certain threshold that you need to reach through those four attributes I shared. Uh, get as much data as you can for a specific period of time, but make peace with the fact that we'll never, never have perfect data, that there are other scenarios possible, but in the spirit of radical differentiation and going all in with something, you must go and commit. If you don't, if you stop after a month and come back, you are going to be worse off. So it's really about thinking of the opposite way, which is not what opportunities am I missing out by focusing? It's about the other way. What am I missing out by not focusing? You're missing out on expertise because you can't dive into a specific topic and obsess over a specific group of people. Therefore, you're missing out on money because people... Um, associate money with uh, expertise with money. Like you don't, when you have a heart problem, you don't go see your fucking GP, you go see the heart surgeon. Um, so 
you know, you, you, you basically give up on so many opportunities by going all in. And once you own and obsess over and have won this, uh, this, this market through radical differentiation because you're the de facto only solution for them, then you can move on. Like it's called the Barling Pin strategy that's shared in a few books. It's just simply, yeah, okay, you own that market then move on, you made enough money. I'm not saying you should obsess over that group and stop. I'm saying this is the only way if you want to cross the chasm properly and then ready to scale and make billions, you must obsess over some more group and then move on to the next. Not trying to fucking do everything because you're going to dilute everything and it's never going to work. Very much like when you share more than one message at a time, the likelihood that people will remember and process every message is going down. It's like everything. So radical differentiation at its heart is actually a mindset problem. Uh, to solve it's actually once you make peace with all of that and know that this is it this is this is we need to commit everything gets easier that's radical differentiation finding a market you're uniquely positioned to help and focusing on this market defining the status quo building expertise and committing to solving problems for that specific group of people do that and you'll grow your brand Seriously, this isn't some fluffy marketing idea. There's real data that backs all of this up. A Millwood Brown R&D study showed that people pay a premium for brands that they think are different. The study analysed loyalty card data from 2,400 shoppers across 79 brands. This data contained actual prices each shopper spent. The researchers then followed up with a survey to measure how different and distinct each brand was perceived to be. The results showed that shoppers paid a huge $22 more for brands that they found to be different and meaningful versus those that they they didn't find to be different and meaningful. So that local cafe really does have something to gain by standing out. And so does your business. Often, standing out is seen as risky, but this data shows that the opposite is true. The worst thing you can do is blend in. That's all we have time for today. If you've enjoyed hearing from Louis, then you will really love his podcast. It is a treasure trove of insight into branding and positioning. I'd recommend his episode with Asia Matos on how to create a go-to-market strategy in five steps. It's an actionable guide to define your GTM that follows on nicely from this episode. Louis also writes a brilliant weekly newsletter. Head to everyonehatesmarketers.com to go and check that out. And before I go, just one request from me. Now around two to 3,000 people listen to each episode of Nudge uh, each week, yet only about 10% of you are signed up to the Nudge email list. If you sign up, you'll get an email every time a new episode goes live. You'll get my personal email address so you can contact me directly. And coming new this week, every other week you'll get a Nudge tip. Now I'm compiling a list of the best nudges I see in the real world, from pillow companies stamping a replace date on the inside of their pillow sheet cover to Amazon's great loss aversion messaging. To make sure you don't miss those tips, sign up to the Nudge emailing list, the link to which is in the show notes, or you can just go to nudgepodcast.com and sign up there. Louis will be back in two weeks for another episode. It is another cracker, so make sure you don't miss it. Cheers. Thank you.